You're listening to Middle East Analysis, a podcast series taking a close look at the Middle East North Africa region. What is Caesar's lore? The genesis of this lore dates back a few years, but it was signed by President Trump in December 2019, and it finally kicked in on the 17th of June. Now, in this conversation on uh, intuitive reactions, the MENA and Gulf regions, I shall not discuss the origins of this lore. I shall not talk about the photographer, the Syrian photographer who started it all. I will not go through the stages and phases that led to President uh, Trump signing it into law. For that, many of you listeners are well aware of that and much more. And those who aren't, frankly, can easily find that out on any search engine. But at this initial uh, stage, all I would add that this Uh, law has already targeted at its beginning 39 individuals or organizations in its crosshairs. They include the Syrian president Bashar al-Assad, his brother Maher, his wife Asma, and a few other organizations that are in the eyes of this law very much in cahoots with a region and with international backers who are basically destroying, damaging the whole country. And this uh, implementation will be ramped up depending on the compliance or otherwise of the regime and its supporters with the law. Now, this is all I'm going to say about Caesar's law. Then I'm going to welcome, and it's a delight uh, to welcome uh, to this program, to this conversation, to discuss with me a few of the offshoots of this law with Dr. Ziad Majid, who's a professor at the American University in Paris. He's a political researcher on Lebanon and Syria, and he's the author as well as editor of many books, including Syrie, La Révolution Orpheline, which means Syria, the Orphan Revolution, and Dans la Tête de Bashar al-Assad, In the Head of Bashar al-Assad, and I'm delighted that Ziad managed to get into Bashar al-Assad's head. I haven't succeeded so far. <laughs> so in a sense, let me start with the first question, the easy one. Ziad, welcome once again to Intuitive Reactions. Now, in, you, your opinion, in your opinion, are the Syrian regime, as well as Russia and Iran, really truly concerned by this law? Or will it go the way of other measures that have had scant impact on the behavior of the regime? After all, was it not Jeffrey James who said that the intention of the law is not a Syrian regime change? So what will happen given the record of the regime? Yes, you're absolutely right, Harry. Uh, I think uh, the regime and its sponsors, uh, Russia and Iran, uh, might consider that with time they can contain Uh, the implications and the consequences of uh, the new sanctions, and uh, then business as usual will continue, especially that the American message that is not new is more about a regime attitude change than a regime change. 
However, what is different this time, and especially for Russia, is that this uh, law and the sanctions that follow might target all individuals, entities, states, etc., that might deal with the regime, and not only officials in the regime or the direct sponsors of the regime. And that would mean, especially for Russia once again, that normalization with the regime and the reconstruction of Syria that Russia wanted, especially from Europe, uh, leading thus to accepting the regime and giving it uh, some legitimacy, uh, would be once again delayed. Uh, they will have to wait. And that would, would put pressure on them, and this is mainly the American message, uh, to uh, consider that without a political solution approved by the Americans and by some other actors, there will be no normalization, no reconstruction, and the current situation and the vulnerability of the regime and the, the uh, terrible economic situation will create more and more troubles, uh, more and more instability that Russia would have to manage and uh, that is something with time that might become uh, an extremely difficult task for the Russians. That's why there is something new about it uh, related to this uh, point, uh, but this would, would not deny uh, the fact that uh, no sanctions ever led to a regime change anyway. Uh, we have the Korean, the Cuban, the Iranian, the Iraqi experience between 91 and 2003 that did not lead to the fall of the regime, but to putting uh, more and more pressures uh, on the regimes and mainly uh, on the network of allies that uh, have been protecting it. That's interesting, uh, Ziad, and uh, thank you for that initial response. Now, you know that many, many people, certainly people and colleagues I know, whether within the European Union or across the UK or elsewhere, have been following the conversation that has been going on for quite some while about this law and its impact. Now, reconstruction is something that, in my opinion, I agree with you, is critical to how this law is received by the regime in Syria and its allies and supporters. However, if you follow the conversations of people that you know, people like the well-known academic Arif Delila or others, they have basically voiced serious concerns that this law will actually impact ordinary Syrians. And the statistics we have show the levels of poverty, etc., etc., that are frightening. And that the regime, its cronies, its cohorts, and the international players will be largely unimpressed by it. You mentioned Iraq, and I was thinking actually of Iraq and the years-long sanctions against Iraq and what it did to the people of Iraq. Would you agree with this a trend of analysis or would you disagree with it? Yes, I agree with some of the aspects and I disagree with others. Uh, well, first, let us uh, remember that the current situation of Syria is not because of any sanction. It's because of the regime massacres, war crimes, and destruction of the infrastructure of Syria, uh, in addition to the consequences of all kinds of interventions that happened throughout the years of the conflict. So there is nothing about the sanctions in the current situation. Now, definitely any sanction might affect ordinary people, and, and that's terrible, of course, especially that they are already suffering and the poverty uh, level is, is uh, 
dramatic in Syria. Uh, they might affect it, especially now that the central bank of Syria is also targeted, meaning that the question of the dollar will be in the heart of those sanctions, leading to the devaluation uh, more of the uh, Syrian currency and making all kinds of prices higher and higher. But at the same time, uh, and even if the reconstruction is needed and is necessary in Syria, reconstruction with impunity uh, for the regime and its allies after all the war crimes would mean giving them uh, the full legitimacy of uh, just conducting politics uh, as before and uh, managing the country as before. So uh, that's why I think today, even if all measures uh, should be uh, made and all efforts should be deployed uh, to avoid affecting the ordinary people uh, through making uh, uh, a kind of UN uh, measures and uh, UN initiatives related to alleviating some levels of poverty, through uh, excluding areas in Syria that are not under the control of the regime from the implications of the measure. We know today, for instance, that 50% of the Syrians do not live under the regime control. Uh, either they are in exile or they live in the Northwest or the Northeast, where many uh, economic and uh, social initiatives should take place. So there will be damage on the population, that's for sure, but there will be also more and more uh, pressure on the regime's allies to consider that a political solution is needed and that the military solution that they have started should not lead to accepting the new balance of power, to accepting the, the regime uh, as if nothing happened and as if uh, not uh, more than half a million Syrians were killed and seven million people were uh, are now refugees and, and six million are internally displaced. So there should be mechanisms related to international law, related to the end of impunity and to a political solution that uh, should happen uh, in order to end with all kinds of sanctions. Uh, but one cannot deny that any sanction will affect ordinary people. Uh, and uh, the regime itself has never been concerned with the life and with the conditions of life of the ordinary people, uh, but it's mainly its allies today, not because of that concern, but because of the real politics, because of the fact that they want a solution that will keep them as important actor. And for that solution to happen, there should be lots of uh, compromises uh, that uh, would change uh, the uh, regime structure uh, itself. That's good, uh, Ziad. Uh, let's hope that your analysis prevails on this law. I'm going to move a few kilometers away from Damascus, and I'm going to now go to another country you know well and you speak about, and that is Lebanon. And of course, we know that uh, there is not only a Syrian a currency that is in meltdown. There is a Lebanese currency that is in meltdown. We know of the illegal trade that has been going on between uh, Syria and Lebanon. We know that one of the targets of this law might well end up being uh, the Central Bank of Syria. And how does that involve all the money laundering and all the transactions across borders? So my question in a short er an answer as you can, how would this law not only impact Syria, but impact Lebanon, its neighbor as well? Yeah. 
there will be impact on Lebanon because the uh, relation between Lebanon and Syria, whether economic or, or political, uh, is important because one Lebanese actor, that is Hezbollah, is also targeted by a series of US sanctions and Hezbollah is involved in Syria. Uh, militarily, but also politically due to its Iranian connection and the fact that it is part of the regional uh, policy of Iran. Uh, mainly it is about, once again, the currency. Uh, the dollar uh, might become more and more uh, powerful compared to the Lebanese pound, and that will lead to uh, more and more inflation. And with the sanctions on the Lebanese banking sector itself, uh, this will create uh, even more uh, I mean, troubles uh, in a country that is already in a deep crisis and in a decline on all levels. Uh, but uh, I think it's a bit early when it comes to Lebanon to assess the possible implications of the new set of sanctions, because already uh, there are uh, issues related to the regional configuration and to the US-Iranian clashes uh, with their, uh, I mean, implications and all the ramifications that could happen in Lebanon. So I think there is something in parallel that we could observe, which is the American, Iranian, and the American Hezbollah uh, questions that appear to be uh, in, in a conflictual uh, phase, at least uh, for now. Uh, but it, it is, in my opinion, a bit early to uh, assess what Caesar's act could mean uh, for the Lebanese. If you just allow me, and I will conclude mm -hmm. here, uh, we, we tend sometimes uh, to follow uh, events, forgetting the accumulations that led to them. So, of course, the Americans in their season act, they do have their own priorities. It is not about the regime change. It's not about uh, the, uh, let's say, political uh, will of a large part of the Syrian population to see a better country and to see uh, a regime change, human rights, etc. But uh, we, we deal now with the, this uh, Caesar Act. And what is important for the Syrians probably is to put some political energy in parallel with it uh, to make it clear that they don't want the ordinary people only to be harmed, but they want uh, something serious to happen in Syria itself. Uh, and that's uh, anyway a difficult task that we don't envy them uh, for, for having to, do, to deal with. I can well understand that. Uh, Ziad, uh, one of the drawbacks of intuitive reactions on my YouTubes is that the minute my cylinders start firing, it's already the end of the, uh, of the conversation. So in a word or two, I'm going to insert, force a fourth question on you because it is such a, an opportunity to talk to you. I was listening to a, re a researcher, Mohammed Salim, who was talking about the fact that the UAE, the United Arab Emirates, uh, started renewing ties with Syria, opened its embassy, delegations went to Damascus, delegations went to the UAE. With this law, and given uh, President Trump's closeness to some Gulf uh, actors, do you think uh, the, the UAE, for instance, would draw back a bit, or whether you would divide uh, the two aspects from each other as short as you can? Yes. No, I, I fully agree with the fact that this will have uh, implications on the uh, United Arab Emirates' attempt at normalizing with the regime. Uh, today, there are many Arab actors that are involved in uh, kinds of normalization with Damascus. Bahrain has never closed its embassy there. The United Arab Emirates uh, opened the embassy again. And then you have Iraq, Lebanon, and Algeria, 
who are in a way as well uh, involved in economic and political uh, relations with the Assad regime. So that would put pressure on all of them and uh, would uh, force many of them as well to reconsider any possible contribution uh, to a regime-sponsored reconstruction that will only mean uh, rebuilding uh, some, uh, uh, I mean, habitations and some infrastructure uh, on the tombs and on the, uh, uh, the hopes uh, and the desires of Syrians to live in dignity in their country. So that's why uh, on that level as well, it might uh, have uh, an impact on many Arab uh, policies, including uh, United States allies in the Arab world to, towards Damascus. Ziad, thank you very much indeed. It's been a pleasure. It's been short and concise, but I think a lot of people will get the gist of what you said with your answers. Let's finish with an Arabic. Ila al-liqa, inshallah. Ila al-liqa, bikil surur. Shukran. Ahlin. <laughs>